Yo, what up everybody? It's Danny Neth with the Gardening for Gains podcast and welcome back to another episode. It is Thursday, May 23rd and uh, we're sitting up here in the plant lab. I uh, actually took today off work uh, doing a nice long, nice long weekend, uh, you know, going into Memorial Day and, uh, you know, kind of wanted to just honestly just relax, um, you know, not really work as much. Uh, or, you know, just take a little bit of a break, uh, you know, from work. And, um, you know, I, I think it's always important to kind of unplug, especially, you know, we really, we haven't gone on vacation since like 2016. Um, so it's been quite a long time without like a, you know, an official vacation. Um, and if you're wondering what that sound is, Basil and Twiggy are trying to, <laughs> they're about to start battling up here in the plant lab. So, or Basil is, but, uh, Twiggy's not having it. She's just laying down and, Loving the sound of her papa's voice, huh? But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I think it's important to unplug sometimes and, you know, especially if you're working hard, I mean, like, I, I think that you have to kind of take that break in order to go back, like recharged and refreshed and, and kind of with a renewed sense of, uh, you know, like what you need to do and, and kind of like, a, you know, more than anything, it's almost like a jump start to your create, you know, creativity, um, you know, I think creativity is something that kind of, you know, comes and goes. It's like, it's a very fleeting thing. And it, it's something that you can't equate with like an ROI or you can't equate it with like hard work because like creativity, um, you know, it's, it's a different kind of thing. It's almost like, uh, it, it's a very soft, intangible skill, you know what I'm saying? So, so either way, um, you know, I'm, <clears throat> uh, you know, I just think it's important to kind of bring that up and, and, and tell people, you know, it's not really like, you know, I think a lot of people think like, oh, the harder you work, the better it's going to be. And and that's definitely the case. But I think there's also the case for, you know, slow down, kind of take stock of where you're at in life and, and don't be afraid to, uh, don't be afraid to not be working your butt off just because that's kind of like what our culture is. Um, you know, I, I, and like, I can, I can make this argument both ways. I can say that people need to work a hell of a lot harder and stop fucking talking at work and like, you know, stop chit chatting with your buddy about the fucking basketball game or, you know, whatever, because like that, that is the true waster of time and creativity and energy. But, but, you know, getting back to that too, it's also the, the thing that kind of that re-energizes certain people and, you know, having that human connection is kind of what helps jumpstart creativity too, I think. So, um, you know, you can't really underestimate the power of people and the power of, um, human interaction, because I think that, you know, there's chemicals that, that are firing in your brain and in your body when you talk to people, when you make that connection and it's something that can't be replicated. It's something that, um, you know, it's, it's innate in our nature. You know, we, we're pack animals. We are, you know, a communal animal. We need that social interaction um, you know, it's something that helps us thrive and, and kind of brings that purpose beyond like the base reality of work and production and, you know, the, the main, not the main thing, but just like the main goal when you're at work. So anyways, that's a long winded rant from, <laughs> from whatever I was talking about, but, um, but I'm excited because I, you know, I love doing the podcast and I love, you know, just having the ability, um, to kind of just like go on and on and on. And, um, you know, I feel like I got a lot of stuff to talk about too. So, 
So either way, taking taking a couple of days off work, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I just analyzed myself, you know, in just a split second there and just realizing like I'm justifying me taking the days off because I feel guilty for not going into work, you know. So so either way, don't feel guilty. Take days off. Do what you need to do. Um, but, but what I'm going to be doing today is, um, you know, a couple different things. I was hoping I could get out in the garden, do a lot of work out there. Um, but it looks like it's going to be raining all morning. So, so me and the dogs are just going to be chilling, um, and, uh, you know, kind of cleaning the house and then, you know, creating content. So podcast is kind of my first step. I feel like it's a really good way for me to collect my thoughts, um, kind of give a little state of the union and I didn't post one yet this week, I don't believe. So, so I do want to get that out there, you know, keep things rolling because the podcast really is starting to pick up. Like every day it's like another hundred listeners, another hundred listens. And so if you're listening, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate the support. Um, and I'm also really curious, like Anchor's analytics are showing that the bulk of my listeners are in California, uh, in Mountain View, California. So if you are listening um, and can drop a comment on like a um, either the podcast you're listening to or uh, drop me a comment on any social channel at gardening for number four gains, gardening for gains. Um, I, I'm just really curious to hear like where you're actually from. And, um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Cause it's just strange. Like anchor is showing me all these different things. Um, as far as like demographics of my listeners and, you know, I'm seeing like, I've, I've got people like in the Netherlands and stuff. So I think that's pretty wild. And, you know, it's just like, I, I love the fact that, um, you can see all that stuff. So, um, if you are listening, just drop a comment. I'd love to connect and just hear some more about your story, your gardening, um, journey, or, you know, why, why you're listening, why you're interested. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we're starting off with the podcast. Um, and then yesterday actually, uh, just got my shipment of the burpee 2020 new variety, new garden varieties. So there was a a nice mix of plants in there. Um, a nice huge box. It was about, you know, probably a two foot by two foot by two foot square box. Um, and it packed full of plants. So I had nine plants. Um, four of them were a Mardi Gras pepper and they came in four different colors, purple, orange, yellow, red. Uh, then there was a pepper called roulette. So that is a sweet habanero. Then there was a, um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's, I think it's called like miracle slicer or super slicer or something like that, but it's a new variety. It's a determinate, um, plant. And I think that one only grows to like two to three feet tall. Um, so it'd be nice, you know, save a little bit of space in the garden as well. Uh, let's see what else there was a plant called a red darling, Brussels sprouts. And, you know, as I said in the video, um, which you'll see later today, I'll be putting that all together, um, doing some editing and, you know, show, you know, my review, my box or the opening of the box and then my review of the plants and a little bit of commentary as far as like, you know, my thoughts on them, how we're going to fit it in the garden and, uh, those sorts of things. But so Brussels sprouts is an interesting one. I, I don't like them really, but, uh, but like I said yesterday, I'll definitely give them a try. Um, especially if I'm going to be growing it, I'm sure it'll have a, a little bit different flavor and taste and, um, you know, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, 
So let's see, what other plants do we have? There was also a lemon drop squash. So that's a squash and the fruits are about two to three inches, you know, in size, about like a lemon. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if it stays true to size as far as like, it says that the vines only get to be about 40 inches, but every time I plant a squash, it ends up taking over a garden. So, so we'll see what happens with that one. Um, and I'm trying to think... I think we might have hit them all. So we had the four peppers, we had the red darling, we had the lemon drop squash, we had the roulette pepper. Um, what else am I missing, Basil? <laughs> She's looking at me like I'm crazy. Oh, and there was another pepper that was a, just like a bell pepper. And um, so that was either two, two to three feet tall. And then... I'm not sure what else I'm missing. So either way to figure out what that last one, that last missing one is you, you'll have to, uh, you have to check out the, the video. I'll be posting that later today. And again, that's the burpees 2020, uh, new varieties. So, and the reason that I got those was because I was selected as a 2019 gardener of the year by burpee home gardens, um, which I'm extremely honored to, to be chosen for that. I, you know, was really surprised when I got the news, um, but so basically they're going through and they're featuring, featuring a different gardener every month. So I was chosen for the month of October, um, which some people might be like, you know, this, this kind of sucks, whatever, but because it is the end of the gardening season in Ohio, but, but at the same time for me, I, you know, that's perfect for me because it gives me the whole year to grow. Um, you know, I'm going to have all of that content to just throw out there into the world, um, talking about the stories of successes and failures and trials and tribulations throughout the gardening season. Um, so honestly, like it's, yeah, it is the end of the season. It's a little rough, but at the same time, I'm, I'm excited to see where the garden's going to be at by that point, you know? So, um, so yeah, that'll be sweet. I'm going to be, you know, featured on their blog, on their Instagram, their Facebook, all that stuff. So stay tuned for that. And, um, you know, I, I'm just really excited and just like kind of, uh, beside myself with it just because it is one of those things. It's like, you know, this is really cool. This is a really awesome opportunity. And I feel like it's kind of the beginning of, of this long gardening journey that I'm going to be on. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, taking that, you know, this is kind of like, I don't know, it almost feels like this is kind of like my first step to becoming like a gardener in gardening influencer or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, more than anything, it's just like, you know, I've built my personal brand up, you know, to a level where, um, I'm getting that respect and, you know, show, you know, showing the knowledge that I have and the passion and, and the passion is really like the main thing for me. But, and I think that my issue is like, um, actually showing that passion in full and, you know, not being afraid to overshare content because I think that a lot of times, like, you know, if you sit there and you think and you dwell and you worry, um, you're not doing it for you, but you're doing it for other people. And that's kind of like where you get into trouble immediately because, um, when you put that, like the power, the, the locus of control outside of yourself, then it makes things a little bit more difficult because you're not, you're not generating that fire from within it's coming from outside of yourself. And that what that does is, um, you know, you're not, you're, when you're not doing something for yourself, you are not going to be happy. You're not going to be producing with a passion. You're going to be producing with a, 
um, prerogative, with a directive in mind and with a, with an expectation, you know, and it's like, those things aren't bad by themselves, you know, but it's, it's what happens to, to the actual content. It's what happens, um, when you realize that when you are yourself, like that is where the magic happens. It's in the, it's in the unique traits. It's in the, your unique outlook and how you say things weird or, you know, just stupid stuff like that. So, um, you know, even beyond that, it's kind of like, you know, different interests. Like, you know, my interests are, um, like in bodybuilding, weightlifting, like fitness, that sort of thing. And that's something that's, obviously very popular with people um you know it's top of mind as far as like healthy eating healthy living organic natural lifestyle um and it's something that i never i was always kind of against but now you know i'm a little bit more it's like i'm against like ideologically but as far as pragmatically you know i'm always someone who has been like against like cleaning products because you don't know what's in a cleaning product and we're just you know there's all these warning labels on it and yet we just spray it willy nilly you're um <clears throat> you put it on your toilet seat and then you put your butt on a toilet seat and and you have like your skin absorbs like 60 to 80 percent of whatever you know is on it so you know think about that um you know that that stuff going into like your dermis you know like your skin is absorbing those toxic chemicals. And, um, you know, I, I think that people get caught up on shit. So, you know, it's like you're caught up on roundup and you're caught up on, um, agriculture and you want to demonize the food system, but then you're not looking at your own, like what you're doing within your own house, your own kitchen, your own bathroom, you know, you are essentially poisoning yourself. And, um, you know, at least if you look at a, at a bottle of roundup, you can see the active ingredients. If you look at a bottle of cleaning product, there are no active ingredients. There are no ingredients. And if you, and even if you could read what the, what they were, you wouldn't even understand it because it's like hydroxy ammonium, you know, metasulfate and you know, all this shit. And it's like, what does that even mean? And, um, you know, so I, I think that we just need to wake the fuck up to reality. And I think we need to stop demonizing things that we have no idea about, because that's what bothers me the most about this demonization of agriculture and horticulture. And, uh, you know, obviously I get it. Um, it's kind of interesting how the whole Monsanto thing has like shifted over to Bayer since they purchased them. Um, but, but, you know, people aren't like, demonizing Bayer like they were Monsanto, which is, it's, it, that's an interesting dynamic as well. And I think that people just don't understand. Hey, stop fighting. But, but it's amazing. You know, people, people have these, uh, all of these assumptions. And I constantly see people in these gardening groups talking about GMO this GMO that. And, you know, one time I, I had to stop someone cause I'm just like, you know, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Someone's talking about, um, how these tomatoes at the grocery store were genetically modified. And, um, I'm like, that's great, Rick, but actually it's not genetically modified. It, there's no genetically modified tomatoes on the market. So anytime you, uh, you know, are looking at something and thinking that it's genetically modified, or you think that, you know, there's some kind of crazy science behind it, or it's going to poison you, you need to realize that, um, you know, 
90% of the corn and soybeans that are used, um, that are genetically modified are, you know, going into like feed or fuel or those sorts of things. And, you know, the gross majority of, of corn and, you know, those sorts of products that's grown is not even used for human consumption in the most cases. And I'm not saying that there, that there's not Roundup on these, you know, on these products, on these plants, because there's Roundup ready corn, there's Roundup ready soybeans. It's a, it's a fact. And, you know, a lot of people kind of spin that and they say it's a necessary evil, which it, it is. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sh really sure how we feed 7 billion people in the world, um, you know, and don't, there's no way to feed 7 billion people in the world using traditional agriculture. And by, by traditional, I mean like organic methods. There, there's no way to feed 7 billion people um, given the scale of these farms. So when you have thousands or tens of thousands of acres, um, you ain't pulling weeds by hand. And, <laughs> you know, there's really no other way to do it. So, um, you know, obviously there are organic methods. You know, things things are going to change. Thing That's a necessity. It's, uh, it's just a guarantee, you know, that shit's going to be changing. Um, you know, and I want to be part of that too. I don't want anyone to think that I'm, you know, against organic methods, but, but I want to show the facts too. And that's why I'm so critical about it. So then I'll flip on the other side and I'll say, ever since I started spraying Roundup, I've always said this causes cancer. So, <laughs> so just to talk out of both sides of my mouth for a second, um, you know, I, I had that instinct and it's just based on like the smell of it. And, you know, I, I was trained by, um, you know, city of Sydney where I worked, uh, they trained, you know, I went through a whole training program. It was a whole day worth of training. I had to take a test. I had to, um, be under supervision for, you know, at least a month after, after doing that, just to make sure I was doing everything correctly. Uh, I was given gloves, uh, and personal protective equipment, including, um, like chemical aprons, gloves, um, uh, respirators, you know, literally everything that you would need I had. And that, that's another thing that pisses me off about this because you, you'll see these people talking about, you know, their, their experiences with Roundup. And when you when you're digging into it, these people are talking about they're covered at head to toe and roundup. Did you ever take a training course? Like th that's, that's what blows me away is I don't know how they can put the, put that responsibility on Monsanto, on Bayer, on the chemical company. When all of the labels warn against, you know, use protective equipment. I mean, everything's spelled out for you. So ultimately, wouldn't it come down to the agency, the school district, the the company that you had worked for and their training methods? Like, why is that not being discussed? So, you know, I think that we're just in this crazy ass culture of, you know, this cancel culture. You know, if we don't like it, if we believe something, <clears throat> then it shouldn't, you know, if we're angry, we should cancel something. We should throw, you know it's just like medieval shit, you know, throwing people in the, uh, 
in the stocks and like just you know throwing fruit at them and like stoning people and burning witches at the stake like that's what we our mindset still is but it's just in a different way and everyone's carrying their you know torches and pitchforks on facebook and you know instagram and twitter and all that shit and you know no one's making a real change or actually looking into the real facts so you know i don't know that's <clears throat> that's my two cents on shit i went down a way deeper rabbit hole than i thought i was going to so I want to kind of bring it back a little bit <laughs> to uh, talk a little bit more about gardening um, and try to drink my coffee here before we, uh, before it starts getting cold. Cause I can, I can feel it coming, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I guess I, you know, I'd be interested to hear your guys take on like, what's your thoughts on Roundup? What's your thoughts on GMOs and genetically modified crops and genetically engineered crops? Like, what are your thoughts? What are your beliefs? Um, that's kind of like a scary thing to be thrown around with science, but, uh, but, I'm, but I'm curious. I mean, because that's the real, like, that's the real of life. Like, you know, not like facts are facts, but, uh, but emotion is what kind of steers the ship uh, in this world. So, you know, I think that clearing the emotions is important so that you can, um, kind of pick through them and see what, make your own decision, make your own informed decision about what's rational and what's not and what's emotional and what is, you know, what's that cancel culture mindset. And, you know, so if, if you have some thoughts on it, drop me a line. I'd love to hear it. Um, but getting back, <laughs> getting back to the, uh, back to the garden and my plans for the day. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to be spraying any Roundup anytime soon. <laughs> not going to be spraying anything because it's just been raining. And uh, we got a little bit of thunderstorm action going on right now. Um, we'll have some rain coming in here later. And then, you know, other than that, like I just got to get my uh, my burpee plants, you know, find some spots for them out in the garden. And uh, and then, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll definitely be filming that and uh you know, kind of walking everyone through the garden because, you know, I think that's something that, you know, I, I talk a lot about it as far as like the root pouch garden, um, which, you know, I've just done, put everything in containers and, um, you know, it's working out really, <clears throat> excuse me, it's working out really, really well. Um, you know, especially with all the rain that we've gotten, the, having all of my plants in fabric pots has been a huge benefit because, you know, I can still go multiple days without watering. Um, the, because of, because it's fabric, you know, water and wind, you know, it's an air is passing freely through it, uh, um, through that fabric, which allows the plant to actually dry out. And so as the plant is drying out, you know, those roots are, are going to, you know, reach for the water. They're going to be growing towards the water as it recedes. And so this is important a really important kind of phase right now is like just making sure that we get the proper amount of water, letting it dry down completely, getting the proper amount of water, letting it dry down completely. And, um, you know, that's like what a lot, that's what a lot of professional growers do. Um, and you know, I, and I think that the amount of rain that we've gotten at the times has also helped to kind of like flush those pots. Um, so like a lot of times with container gardening, um, you'll get a buildup of like fertilizer salts, um, which we haven't had that issue because we don't use synthetics. So there's no salts. It's all, um, 
everything I used last year was just that, uh, hydrolyzed fish fertilizer. So I, as you know, as far as my knowledge, there's no salt fertilizer salts in that. Um, I'm trying to think like what it would be like, I guess, organic fatty acids, um, you know, B vitamins. I know there's some kelp in there. There's some, you know, and there, there's just a lot of benefits to, to the hydrolyzed fish. So, um, you know, that in itself, but, but, you know, regardless, it, it's, it's nice to get that flush through. And, uh, especially last year we just watered with, uh, you know, tap water. So that's a, you know, a very neutral to basic pH. And, uh, the plants are really liking something that's more like any, anywhere from a five to a six and a half range pH. And that's pretty much what the rainwater is doing for us. So it's, uh, it's been a good, you know, um, neutralizing factor, I guess you would say. And, uh, I'm just thankful that, uh, the Anderson's came out with an organic, uh, slow re- controlled release fertilizer, because, uh, if, if I wouldn't have put that down in the pots, I don't know what I'd be doing right now because basically this year I, I set everything up. So I'm like, we're going to fertigate, which means that you fer- put fertilizer in your irrigation lines. So we set up an irrigation system, uh, with <clears throat> set up an irrigation system with drippers. Um, you know, I've got a product called a Chapin hydro feed, which will, um, dilute fertilizer into the, fer- uh, into the irrigation lines. And, um, but I haven't been able to use it because it's been raining. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, uh, it's really hard to irrigate when, uh, when it's raining and your pots are full. So, so thank, thankfully we do have that controlled release fertilizer. Like I said, it's organic Omri listed the analysis on that. Um, and again, and if you're listening and you are looking for an organic fertilizer like that, um, we do carry it at AM Leonard. So that's where I work as a product manager and, uh, fertilizers and treatments is one of my categories. So feel free to drop me a line or you can go check it out on AM Leonard's website. Um, product number is a, um, a seven, one, two, four, zero, I believe. And, um, so that's, and it is a, so it's made out of a soybean meal. Um, and kind of how they marketed it to us was like, you know, would you rather have, so a lot of people like what they'll do is make a composted manure product and use that as their organic fertilizer. And it smells awful, like organic, you know, all these chicken, chicken poop fertilizers are just awful. You walk past them in the warehouse and you about die, but, uh, but this one's nice because like, like he had kind of mentioned to me, it's like, would you rather have, um, what goes into the cow or what comes out of the cow? So like soybean meal is essentially feed for animals. Um, and so it's got, you know, it's a seven, one, two, so 7% nitrogen, 1% phosphorus, 2%, uh, potassium. So that, and that's a really high nitrogen number for an organic fertilizer. And although those numbers are low because it's organic, they're in a very usable form for the plant. Um, so it's naturally uptaken and it's not so like a lot of times, like you'll see fertilizers that are like a, a 20, 20, 20, that's because it's synthetic. Um, so a lot of those chemicals that are in there are in there in organic form or in a, um, in, in the form where it's not readily usable by the plant. So, um, so that's an important thing. Um, 
along with that, there's a lot of amino acids, a lot of B vitamins, um, which they help with, you know, kind of regulating different functions of the plant, such as the opening and closing of the stomata, which essentially is like what allows the plant to sweat and release excess uh, moisture from its leaves. Um, you know, a couple of those other like amino acids, they might help with like photosynthesis or uptake of calcium, you know, there's all kinds of things. And it's just like, kind of like, um, you know, uh, like vitamins for, for humans, you know, same kind of thing in this case. And, um, you know, so, so that is, so it's a very complete product. It's, you know, providing a lot of, a lot of those extra things that we, you know, always look for in fertilizers. So, um, I think actually, I think right now I really just put it on the, uh, the celery, but, um, celery and the cauliflower, I believe, because there's just a huge difference between like those plants. So, um, so it's a great product and, you know, a little bit goes a long way as far as from what I've seen. But, um, you know, if you're going organic, there's, there's no other, you know, nothing better as far as like a, a controlled release. Um, and it's Omri listed. So I believe that's the only like Omri listed actual controlled release fertilizer we have at the moment. So I'm working on building up the line. A lot of them are liquids though. Um, like Neptune's harvest stuff. Um, you know, and then like the other organic stuff is like microbial products. So like mammoth pea, um, the mycorrhizal products and you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that too. Um, but what it comes down to is that, you know, what to look for in the organics is something that's going to help not just feed the plants. And, and this is like the whole point of, of organic production is, you know, it's not about how to feed the plants. It's also about how to feed the soil, because when you feed the soil, the soil feeds your plants. Um, you know, like some of these products are really great. Like the Neptune's harvest, it's got a little bit of molasses in it. So what molasses does is it's basically providing like a sugar, um, carbs, it's providing carbs to the soil. So, and what feeds on carbs is actually beneficial fungus. So mycorrhizae, trichoderma, um, these things, you know, really help the plants roots and help to uptake these nutrients, help to uptake, uh, or help to protect from disease and drought resistance and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, so that sugar, that molasses will give them a little bit of a little bit of a boost, you know, that initial boost. And then from there, then it forms that symbiotic relationship with the plant. And then rather than getting the molasses from the surrounding soil, it's an exchange with the plant. Mycorrhizae gives some nutrients, the plant gives some carbs, um, and some water. And, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting thing. And it just, you know, it makes me think that we're only on the brink of what we're about to learn for horticulture and agriculture. And, and I think there's a lot of different implications for just the entire world, because like in my mind, and it sounds crazy, but in my mind, I think that mycorrhizae is like going to end up being like, it essentially is the internet of the soil. So I think, I think that there is a way to tap into it. And like, whether that's a crack, obviously it's a crackpot theory because, you know, it's, it's very, um, out there, but, but, but it's almost like, you know, if you think about avatar, like they were talking about that in avatar and they weren't, 
wrong and and mycorrhizae isn't anything new it's been studied since like probably like the 80 actually probably before that i think in the 70s 60s 70s and i'm probably even wrong on that i can't remember because i read a book last year about it i was like on this reading spree but um i want to say like 60s or 70s is probably when it started but i'm for some reason i'm i feel like i'm wrong and i think it started in like the early early 1900s, but, um, either way, it doesn't matter. It's just an amazing process. And, um, it's just amazing how much we don't know. Like you just don't know what you don't know. And it's amazing the capabilities of, you know, because when you think of like fungus and bacteria, you just think negative, you think disease, you think, you know, death and, and it's the exact opposite. It's actually like the bringer of life and what is, um, kind of breathing life into the whole entire world. You know, it's what it, you know, and I I believe that it's kind of what helped plants make the transition from water to land. So it's a very, very interesting part of our, um, evolution essentially. And, you know, I think that we're going to realize that mycorrhizae has a lot of, uh, impact and, um, implications for the human, human life as well. You know, there's been studies done on how it's beneficial for like your serotonin and, you know, can help with alleviating depression and things like that. So, you know, I think that, um, I think that like garden gardening therapy is, uh, you know, I think we're going to realize that it's more of a chemical thing than it is like a, um, like a treatment option. You know, it's not like it just like art therapy or music therapy. It's like, you know, that you're, you're, um, triggering chemicals to be produced in your body when you're doing these things. But, but we don't like kind of treat it that way. You know what I'm saying? Because it is natural. And, and, you know, I, like, I kind of think the same way about like weightlifting. I think that there's a huge potential to make like weightlifting and like bodybuilding, um, a therapy and, you know, obviously you you would call it iron therapy so that it can be really punny, but, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's about using those chemicals within your body. And I think that that is what, that's actually what mycorrhizae is kind of doing. It's, you know, it's triggering those chemicals to be produced in your body and then it, or in the body of the plant. And then it, you know, it's, it's that give and take and, you know, helping, to create the balance within the world because we can't, no one lives alone. You know, there's no matter how isolated you are, there's always still that those connection points that, that, um, connect you to news or happiness or whatever. And, um, you know, and it's the same kind of thing with plants. So, um, I really don't know how I got down that path, but, uh, you know, kind of talking about, well, talking about the organics there, um, talked about kind of getting everything planted out in the garden. You know, we've got a lot of plans today and, oh, and I know I I kind of wanted to go keep going down this path of like, you know, spraying chemicals because, uh, it's been interesting. I haven't been able to spray anything in the garden. Well, I take that back. I sprayed some, uh, bacillus, which is actually another, another beneficial bacteria that helps fight, um, or helps kill, it kills bugs. Essentially. It's a toxic to, to the bugs, um, intestinal system, you know, their digestive system, but it has no effect on humans. So this, uh, particular bacteria, I believe affects a certain enzyme within their stomach that, um, in turn 
basically kill, you know, dehydrates them. So, um, luckily for humans, our stomach has a different pH. Um, so those enzymes don't thrive in our gut. So we have nothing to worry about and it's an organic OMRI listed, uh, pesticide as well. Um, but we've gotten rain, so that's washed off. And, uh, and so that's what I'm battling with, you know, it's like, it's really tough for me right now because I, I can't do, um, you know, I guess insect netting is my next bet, but it's pretty expensive and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to solve our problem at this point, you know, especially just, we've got grass and weeds like in the garden. So, um, you know, until we get those covered up or eliminated, I think that we'll still have pest problems, but, but I really just need to get out there and spray some like neem oil. Um, you know, it's a natural insecticide fungicide and, you know, been super effective for us over the past couple of years. So I'm going to use that. And then, um, you know, if I can get that sprayed today, you know, hopefully we can, it'll stay on for a couple of days. And what I'll probably do after that is, uh, mix up some diatomaceous earth into my sprayer, make a nice, you know, sl like a nice slurry out of it. And, uh, and then spray that all over every plant because, um, you know, what diatomaceous earth is, is again, a natural product. It is made from diatoms, which are one of the most, the most prevalent, um, organism in on earth and essentially they are i don't know exactly what they are i think they're kind of like a plankton and and they're one of the large i think they produce about 50 percent of earth's oxygen because of you know they are present in um, like river deltas and in the ocean and you know kind of kind of um essentially are like the plant life of the sea that is providing the oxygen for the entire world. So, um, so what happens is when these diatoms die, they settle to the bottom of the ocean and they become diatomaceous earth after they start to decay. And so they're, you know, full of, it's basically just like silica calcium, um, dust almost. And so what happens is this, you can put it on as a dust, put it around your plants or, um, you know, in, on the soil or whatever. And what happens is when crawling insects go over it because of the chemical structure of it, it's actually, so if you magnified, put it under a magnifying glass, you would see that it's full of, it's like a rocky, um, full of jagged edges, almost like a glass. So what happens is when bugs crawl over this, they are cut and the, the diatomaceous earth actually, um, dries them out and dehydrates them and kills them. So it's a little gruesome, you know, when you figure out what, how it's actually doing it, what mode of action it's taking. Um, but you know, that's like, and again, it's not going to hurt humans or anything like that. Um, you know, some people actually, like, I know that some Amish communities actually, um, like they'll, <laughs> you know, I know more than, more than just Amish people do this, but I've heard of it happening like in the Amish community of, they will put it in, like mix it in with like orange juice or their juice, or just take it with water. And, um, and they swear by it. And, and it is a natural way to, uh, essentially, you know, get rid of pest, uh, like, um, what am I thinking of here? Like tapeworms and, you know, those kinds of things that can like 
get in like parasites that can get into your body, it, it will actually um, help with that. So, you know, it's a very natural way of controlling those sorts of things. Um, and, and actually diatomaceous earth is in about everything, you know, it's in a lot of products that we use. So like think about like toothpaste and soaps and those sorts of things it's in there. So, um, so it's nothing to be worried about at all. Um, it's, it's an edible product. Everything that we get is uh, food grade. So there's nothing to worry about. You just really have to make sure that you don't inhale the dust and you're good to go. Um, so, you know, if you're doing it as a dust, would highly recommend using a, um, a respirator or at least a face mask, some eye protection. And, um, and yeah, that's really about it. But yeah, I'm going to mix that in like my sprayer. You want to make sure you either have a diaphragm pump or you have something, you have a sprayer that has a, an agitator in it because you're going to want to keep that in a good mix. Keep, keep the, uh, diatomaceous earth suspended. And so it's not eating up like your piston pump. And so it's not eating up your, um, like your tubing and your seals and all that sort of stuff, because it is, you know, it's still, uh, you know, a rough, a rough chemical. It's like, you know, sand isn't, isn't, um, sand isn't harmful, but if you put sand through, uh, through a tube or through a pump or whatever, it's going to grind the shit out of it. And it's going to, you know, cause some damage for sure. So, um, but it's nice, you know, you spray that slurry on there, it'll stay on there even through the rain sometimes. Um, but it's nice cause it just sticks to the leaves get it around the base and uh you know that way it, it, so probably what i'll do is i'll do the neem oil first i'll do diatomaceous earth over top of it and then i might even go back with the neem oil again um depending you know so uh i don't know those are kind of some of my plans right now and other than that you know we've got got a few things i really want to i really want to tackle i want to complete the uh complete the fencing like you know, that's been, that's been on my mind, but I haven't, um, I just haven't executed on it and just need to figure out what's going to be the best so that when I, when I do redo this, it's an optimal thing. You know, it's, it's aesthetically pleasing and it's not just like thrown together. Like I did with the last one, like obviously with the first one, you know, it's like, we're just, we're just trying to keep the dogs out. Um, so it's, it's kind of serving its purpose. They're starting to break through the fence or the gate, this crappy gate that I built. So I'm working on building another one. That might be another project for the slate today. Um, but yeah, 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 definitely we'll do that actually. So we'll build a gate, um, after we, you know, put these videos together and, and do some content, you know, on that post the podcast, but, uh, but yeah, I want to do that. I want to pull some weeds. I want to put down some more ground cover, just kind of make sure that we've got all of the, uh, irrigation hooked up correctly. Um, every pot has an irrigation stake and, oh yeah, we're getting to that cold pot, cold spot in the coffee. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, you know, the garden garden's doing well. It's just all about the aesthetics and, you know, keeping up with the care and, and daily maintenance. And, and really that's about it. I mean, you know, with, with all this rain, I haven't had to do much. And like I said, I can't really spray, spray the organic pesticides. Um, so it's just like, we're waiting it out right now. And, um, and you know, everything I'm growing doesn't really, the basics I've been doing is just like pulling weeds. Um, 
but yeah, other than that, like the crops that I've got, they don't need a lot of, a lot of love just yet. We just planted out the tomatoes, uh, and peppers last week. So just waiting on those bad boys to really establish and, and continue their growth pattern up. But, um, yeah, I'm really not going to touch them until they get some more growth. And, and that'll happen as we get a little bit warmer. We kind of, I planted everything out then we dipped down into like sixties and fifties for a couple days. So, um, they might get, I don't want to say that they're going to be stunted, but they might, um, they've definitely got a little bit, uh, that caught, it definitely contributes to a little bit of a slowdown. So, um, you know, we've got a ton of other tomatoes, uh, inside that we're, we need to get planted out. I've got one, two, I've got like, let's see, what does that equate to about, well, you know, just about 125 pepper plants sitting here that I'm looking at. Uh, and that's a mix of bell peppers, ghost peppers, cayenne peppers, banana, um, flamethrower mix and habaneros. So, and I'm not sure what the flamethrower mix exactly is. That's a, uh, that's a seed or that's a uh, variety from gurneys. And, you know, it, uh, I think it's just like their own thing, you know, their own variety that, that, that they created, but, uh, it's definitely like a habanero ish kind of habanero ghost pepper ish kind of plant. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm super pumped and, you know, I don't know. Well, actually I no, we kind of, I kind of thought about this already. Like all the peppers are basically going to go into the spot of, uh, where the cauliflower is at now. So, um, you know, we've probably got a good hundred pots that have cauliflower or broccoli in them. So I'm just going to let these bad boys grow in the plugs for now and, uh, you know, let them get, get real established and, get them planted out one, you know, once we've got some good stuff going. So, um, I don't know. That's really about it. Kind of everything on my mind right now. I could go down 8,000 different rabbit holes, uh, especially as I'm looking at the plant lab right now or the grow rack plant in the plant lab. You know, we've got, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different trays right now. Um, about what, f five of those trays, four of those trays have, uh, tomatoes in them. Yeah. Four of them have tomatoes. Five of them have tomatoes. Four of those tomato trays are in, I think they're four inch cow pots. Best decision I've ever made. <laughs> so if you're looking, if you grow in peat pots, switch over to cow pots right now, because there's nothing, there's no comparison. Um, I, I, I'm just blown away. I'm just absolutely, I was absolutely blown away by them. Um, so, and I would highly recommend them very, very robust root growth. You can see the roots growing out, like outside of the pots, which I've never seen that. Like I've never, ever seen that. Um, you know, you might see it like on Instagram or you'll see it like a lot with cannabis growers because, you know, they're growing a weed. So the roots grow through shit and, and tomatoes kind of like on the same, same kind of path as like cannabis. I mean, it's basically tomatoes were you know, they grow wild in like South America and, um, you know, it's just a weed. I mean, if you let it go, it would just keep going. Like how, how tall did they get? You know, 30 feet. Um, so they just keep on growing, but, but I'm super impressed with that. Um, so like that, that's one growing method that I'm 
just blown away by, and I can't, I, I can't put it into any other words. The other one is, uh, we carry a, these products or a product called grow plugs. And essentially it's just like a peat, peat foam plug. Um, you put the seed in it or you put the plugs in a styrofoam tray. You put that tray into, or yeah, you put the styrofoam into a tray and then you fill it with water. And then, so the styrofoam is going to float. And then that styrofoam has 55 holes where you can put these plugs. Um, so I did this with the peppers because like it, I did last year was the first year I tried it out. Um, and shit grew so fast. Um, just cause it's, it's got that constant, you know, water supply, um, you know, it dries down. It's, it's just a very, very good product. And so I started the, started my pep, started two tray or a tray and a half of peppers in those of just hot peppers, because I was like, eh, you know, I, I do want to grow, like I'm going to get some hot sauce or do some spices or, you know, some shit like that. So, so I knew that we were running late on time. So I, I threw them in that, uh, because I thought that they would, you know, really explode in growth and they sure have. Um, so I've got some peppers that I started on 418 in a standard plug tray. Uh, and they're doing pretty well. You know, there's probably, there's a few, they're probably what, maybe four to five inches tall. So that's pretty good, you know, for peppers. And, you know, and I'm looking at like the, the other ones that I've planted all in the, uh, in the styrofoam trays and they're pretty close. Like they're not, not quite as thick in the stems and they're not quite as like, um, broad of leaves just yet, but, but they're getting close. So I, I'm glad to know that, uh, I can kind of maybe cut off like a week or two weeks by using those floating trays. So that's something I'm definitely going to look into a little bit harder next year. And the good thing is you're not wasting water. So I'm not worried. I don't have to worry about runoff going off of the tray. I don't have to worry about, um, pushing the water through the growing media too fast. I don't have to worry about um, getting too much fertilizer on the plant leaves. I don't have to worry about disease from putting water on the leaves, you know. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of benefits to that. And, uh, you know, something I'd super highly recommend um, you're, if you're growing tomatoes, I mean, any kind of, I've seen everything work in those, you know, especially like even lettuce and, and all that. So, um, you know, and the other thing that might be caught contributing to some of the differences as far as the, um, the growth patterns is the lighting that was used. So I'm pretty sure that we have either a T5 or a T8. Um, I want to say LED, but I, I really think that they're fluorescent light, um, is what I started my peppers under, but you know, now they're under LEDs. So I've got one under the, uh, the stratum grow lights. And then I've got one under the, uh, the kickoff from sole source lighting so that I can kind of get a good, a good test or a good visual on which light is, um, you know, kind of contributing to the best growth. So, or, or which one is causing it to, uh, grow a little bit faster, I should say. So we'll kind of, you know, go through that, you know, at some point I'll, uh, do a quick video to kind of show some updates and, um, you know, of what we've got in the plant lab and what we're doing in the garden. I'm going to try to get out there today if it'll ever stop raining. 
But um, I think I'm going to cut it off here. Been ranting for a little too long. So <laughs> thanks for listening in. And uh, if you have any que- any gardening questions, anything you're looking to see on or hear from me on the podcast or on video, feel free to call into the station on Anchor. Drop me a line on any social channels, Gardening for Gains. Uh, and I'm Danny Neth. Thanks for listening. And as always, I appreciate it.